Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is still lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. But one of the women having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Y'all may be seen by children. So a common question in my house, asked by me most days of the week, is not what's for dinner. It's not where's the baby. It's not even what's that smell, and you'd be surprised when you have a two-year-old how often you ask that question. (laughs) The most common question almost always is, where did I put my keys? Almost every day I lose those little suckers, and the first thing I do when I lose them is I blame Diane almost every single day. She almost never moves them in in her defense, unless it's to move them to the key rack in her house, because that would be the smart place to put them, right? No, not in my world. Thomas has been known to take them every, a few times, but he usually pushes the panic button on the car first thing when he takes them. So all you have to do is look for a squealing child who's either really happy or really scared what he just did, and you'll find them. They typically, though, they fall on the couch because I fall asleep on the couch, or they're left in a bucket in the basement. I don't know why I put them in the bucket in the basement, but sometimes it happens. Sometimes they're buried underneath clothes on the dresser, which is even more strange because... I never moved the clothes in the first place, so why did they end up underneath the clothes? Don't understand how my brain works. I found them in the refrigerator a few times. I have locked them in the car while it's running. A couple times at a gas station, that's fun. Although I haven't done that for a while, that was back in high school. Now the cars, they don't let you do that anymore. I love that feature. Me losing my keys has gotten so bad that my wife bought me this really fancy key key finder it it tells you where your keys are and it's really great because all I have to do is is go to my phone I push a button and it rings it rings it so I can find them and also has it on a map so if I don't have them at home say I left them here at the office it'll tell me the last place that they that it had a signal it's also great because it rings my phone so all I have to do is push this little tile button on the in the middle and I'll bring my phone, because I lose my phone just as much as I lose my keys. The only problem is, this key finder needs to be recharged every 45 days. 
And you think that they would have a notification come up on my phone that says this thing needs to be charged. But the key finder people haven't gotten that memo for people like me who lose their keys all the time. Apparently we also need a memo to charge the thing. I usually find out that it's dead when I lose it. And it says battery needs to be charged. This happened in Nagset a few months ago when we were all down there. I lost my keys and everyone in that house, after a half hour of tearing the place apart, was ready to kill me. 30 minutes of running around. We couldn't find the keys. They were in the bathroom underneath of Thomas's step stool to wash his hands. I don't know why I put them underneath of the step stool. This is how my brain works. When we found them, there was really no rejoicing, like the woman did with the shepherd. My wife and Jess made me charge the key finder before I could leave the house. They yelled at me a lot, a lot, but I rejoiced. Those key fobs I have on my key ring, they cost like 60 bucks a piece to replace. I'm happy not to have to spend $180 on those new fobs. I was excited to have my keys, even though the rest of the house was not so excited. As someone who loses things, forgets things almost every day, I feel like these two parables really speak to me. Do you feel that way? The rest of the world might not care about me losing my keys, not, might not care about you losing your wallet or your keys or whatever it is that you lose. The rest of the world might not care what this woman lost when lost one of her coins, but she does. The world might not care that the shepherd lost one of his little lambs and leaves 99 in the wilderness. But done to itself, doesn't sound like the smartest thing to do. Yet he is happy because he's found his lamb. These things, might, these things mean the world to the shepherd, this lamb, and this woman's coin. They mean that they can put food on the table for their family. These meaningless things such as a koi, a lamb, or even simple things as my keys, they, they mean that we hear the meaning of God has come near. So we all know how parables function, right? They, they function as metaphors that challenge or invite us into a newer, deeper understanding of God's dominion, a dominion identified with the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the lifeless. And in this case, with those, with those who lose things almost every single day of their lives, we as Christians are moved by images and parables around sheep and shepherds, aren't we? There is a common image of Jesus carrying a lamb in Christian art. One such piece of art that I found on the internet dates back to the 3rd century. It was found in one of the catacombs of Rome. They were painted at a time when this kind of art was deemed illegal in the Roman Empire. This image of Jesus holding a lamb is a powerful image that could have cost the artist his or her life. It was deemed necessary because of the comfort it gave the people who are laying their loved ones to rest. So when we hear this passage, we immediately have images of Jesus with a flock of sheep. But what about those hearing this parable? What image does, comes to their mind in the first century world? For in the first century world, outside of the biblical ideal of shepherding, shepherds were seen as, as shiftless, thieving, trespassing hirelings. Shepherding was listed among the despised trades of the, of the rabbis. Along with camel drivers, sailors, gamblers with dice, dyers, and tax collectors. It is safe to say that shepherds, along with the camel drivers, the sailors, the gamblers, the dyers, and tax collectors, are part of the last, the lost, the least, the little, the lifeless that this parable is addressed to. 
They are the sinners sitting at the table with Jesus. They are the sinners that Jesus welcomes into his cycle, circle of disciples. I heard this quote from a Gettysburg seminary professor many years ago, but it's always one that has stuck with me. The professor says, whenever you draw a line in the sand to say who's on the inside of the kingdom of God and who's on the outside of the kingdom of God, remember, Jesus is always going to be on that other side of the line. For Jesus is always with the outsiders. Jesus is with the shepherds. Or modern day terms, those, those people that sell things out of the back of their cars that are a little bit shady. Jesus is with them even though we might fervently want to keep them out to the kingdom. Jesus' actions in accepting sinners and eating with them reflects God's gracious spirit towards those who were held in contempt by the Pharisees and the scribes. It also resets Jesus' priority and therefore God's priority. Jesus doesn't want righteous people. God doesn't want righteous people. He wants to be with people who know they are sinners, who need Jesus, who cannot do it on their own. God takes more delight in the return of the tax collectors and sinners than in the others. And because the Pharisees take offense at Jesus' celebration with the tax collectors and other sinners, they show that their spirit is far from God. That God takes more delight in celebrating with a repentant sinner than with the scribes and Pharisees who feel like they are righteous enough all on their own and in no way, shape, or form needing God's help, needing Jesus' help. Jesus is with the sinners. Jesus is with the people who know they have screwed up. Who know they are sinful. Jesus has no need to be with people who don't need him. Jesus is with the people who lose things all the time. Jesus is with the woman who lost $120. When we read this story, especially as Americans today, when we hear coin, we immediately think of a quarter, right? Maybe one of those dollar coins that are really not all that common. Normally, though, we just think of a quarter. But a drachmas, a silver coin was worth about the same as a denarius. And a denarius is, is a day's wage. So if you do $15 times 8, you get $120. This woman has 10, has, uh, 10 of these coins. So she has, she has $1,200, and she's lost $120. Who wouldn't tear up the house for $120? Anybody here? Anybody not want to tear up your house for $120? I have tore up my house looking for my wallet that maybe has 3 or $4 in it. I can't imagine losing $120. No stone would be unturned. You would celebrate if you found $120, right? You would celebrate what you have recovered. God celebrates when you, a sinner, have been recovered. God celebrates not at what God has already has, but at the recovery of what everyone deemed as loss. Notice something key about these two parables. The focus is not on the act of repentance itself. If that was the focus, Jesus would have certainly chose a second parable that focused more on repentance. The commonality between the two parables is the party being thrown by the shepherd and the woman. The real focus of these two parables is there for the celebration that God is throwing on behalf, on behalf of the lost and sinful. And the righteous are beckoned to join this party. Those who find God's mercy offensive cannot celebrate with the angels when a sinner repents. Thus they exclude themselves from God's grace and God's coming dominion. So celebrate when a sinner confesses their sin. Celebrate when the lost are brought home. Celebrate the little things like finding your keys or that lamb or that coin. 
For God's mercy is mercy for a reason. If we received what we deserved, it would not be mercy. It would be not be grace. It would be reciprocity. It would be something we owed for the ser- our services rendered. God could care less about what you have to give. God cares about you needing God's mercy, God's love, and God's grace. We are given mercy because we can never afford what God gives us. God, what God gives you and me. And you will never be able to receive God's mercy if you continue to have a grudging spirit, spirit against those not like you. Only those who celebrate God's grace to others can experience that mercy themselves. So my brothers and sisters, let's break out the party hats, the noisemakers, the fancy glasses, the fancy plates, and enjoy the celebration for the things that you thought were lost and now been found.